This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. How's it going, my fellow Americans? Today I'm going to kick off the show a little bit differently. We're going to kind of start the way we end usually. We're going to start with the end first. So here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, making their return to the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Here's my old band, The Launch, with the inspiration for the intro to the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. This song's called Plead Insanity. So hard, it didn't have to be this way 
All right, people, I hope you enjoyed that track. Uh, I played it on the show a long, long time ago, and I felt like playing uh, it again. The intro track to this podcast came from a studio recording uh, of my old band, The Launch, here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, I've had that one on the shelf for quite some time. And... uh, Wanted to play it for you guys. Uh, I know I have some new listeners that may have not heard that yet or known where the intro track came from. Uh, just in case you were wondering or interested, I uh, figured I'd just run that by you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. It's time for another episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, for America. And today, I'm going to share with you an interview show I did with the guys over at the Imaginarium of Thought podcast. Uh, Ron Weed uh, and I have chatted on numerous shows now, and then they invited me on uh, to talk about wrestling and music, punk rock, uh, the craziness that's going on in the world. Uh, We tackle all sorts of stuff, and it was a fun show. And I hope you guys enjoy the show today. So head on over to the Imaginarium of Thought podcast. Check those guys out. Um, They got a great show, and that's it. I'm going to hit a commercial, and let's just get right to it. When we come back, I'm going to share this interview I recently did. If you haven't already heard it uh, on the Imaginarium of Thought podcast feed, don't you worry, my fellow Americans. I'm going to share it with you here today. I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, people, welcome back to the show. Here we go. Take a listen to this show I did with Zach and Ron Weed from the Imaginarium of Thought podcast. Here we go. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Imaginarium of Thought. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Andrew from the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. How's it going, man? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad glad uh, glad to have you on, man. Uh, we met on. Well, actually, I think uh, I, I, well, I followed your Instagram for a while, uh, like your posts and stuff like that. Um, put some dank memes up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, but then, uh, you know, met on uh, Mick and Veland show, the Patriot Party podcast. But I kept having uh, camera issues and mic issues. I couldn't get that <laughs> shit to work. But then we we you know hung out on the tavern. Yeah, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, we had a good time, man. Both times I've seen you on camera thus far has been what looks like a smoky room where you were hotboxing for a couple hours. <laughs> and uh, and I don't know, I, on both shows, you had the same issue, I think. And I was like, 
I'm never going to see Ron's face. I'm like, the only time I've ever seen your face is on from your Instagram photos. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was great meeting you, man. And we had some great conversations and uh, uh, glad to be here. Yeah, I, I have uh, I need to make some upgrades, but I had a uh, my phone screen protector started coming apart. So oh, it was that, started... <laughs> that what it was? <laughs> yeah, but I got I got a webcam. Um, so when I do go on the tavern, uh, you know, I can chill and stuff like that. But uh, I was going to say about the tavern thing, you know, because you, you have the uh, politics and punk rock podcast like that's like the beginning of the American revolution essentially was meeting up in taverns and people going, fuck the government. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. That, uh, and they're trying to get rid of that. I, I think that, uh, the whole COVID thing was, uh, a nice, um, illustration of how they may actually eliminate, uh, people meeting and, uh, exercising their freedom of assembly and organization and, and being able to organize and, uh, that's where you got to start to uh, quell the uprising of, um, you know, a populist movement. Uh, that's where it's got to start. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's the that, that I didn't I didn't think about that either. But yeah, keep keep people from uh, getting together, coming in union over a uh, topic, because that's even like in the church. You know, it's kind of the whole point of gathering in prayers, because. Uh, years you know more energy you're adding more intention to the the thought or yeah whatever well and it's the sense of it's the sense of community and it's it's yeah you, know, you know i just got done talking about this in one of my episodes coming up where you know i said they don't want strong families they don't want people getting married and having strong progeny anymore they don't want uh um you know because they say that strong families you become a clan and a clan becomes a threat to any ruling class that, you know, that really has their fundamentals and their discipline as a cult, if, you know, from a cultural perspective, if you, if they have that in place, that's going to be the problem children that may come after them at some point. And just like you said, that's exactly what happened with the uh, American revolution, you know? Yeah. They don't want the uh, strong, strong family bonds like that. And that's crazy too. Cause if you do have some strong family members, some supportive family members in your, or even just friends in your group, you know that when you're in trouble, you have, you know, you know that you got people to back you up. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's, they know that, you know, an army is going to be tougher to fight than just a couple pissed off people, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, so how, how are the people going to kind of organize and assemble and get something like that off the ground? Well, probably at taverns and pubs uh, late at night, you know, like, like that's how it probably always has been with some liquid courage yeah <laughs> lots of lots of pints of ale you know what i mean <laughs> yeah because uh i mean even the boston uh tea party thing right when they just started that's i mean that right in itself is kind of punk rock <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> you know start kicking shit around you know oh yeah that's that's the idea is I, i've always thought of punk rock as just a big fuck you it's like it's like no i'm gonna it's like owning your sovereignty. That, that's how I define punk rock is owning your um, ability to, you know, be self-expressive and put your foot down and say, I don't care what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I am free. I am sovereign. And, you know, it's kind of like that whole libertarian punk rock and libertarianism kind of have cross themes there. I, I would 
Oh. Definitely, I saw uh, Johnny Rotten. Uh, oh yeah. Johnny, you see that uh, comment he made? He's like, I can't believe like all these punks from back in the day are now the ones supporting the government, the establishment. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the true definition of being a poser, right? <laughs> definitely man um and i was gonna say like uh you actually uh have a punk rock band or uh not at the moment i'm i'm uh i've been playing in different bands for 15 years uh i did three different bands out in california one band here in minneapolis where i live now and um i'm always writing i always have songs uh in the book somewhere ready to get off the ground if uh, a new project popped up um i recently started kind of poking around with that idea just to see if there's any interest out there anymore. And um, I, I may start a project again in the future, but I'm really focused now on getting my home studio set up and writing here because that way I can do more than just send music out to musicians that may want to start a band. Now I can uh, maybe write stuff that's different styles and maybe get it uh, licensed. Uh, there's some money to be made in licensed music. So, um yeah just just ideas on uh, in my head that i was i've been trying to do lately but um yeah no i I don't have any band i'm in at the moment and i haven't been touring for years now by 10 years so you uh andrew you mentioned before that you kind of dabbled in a little bit of everything but if you had a go-to what's your go-to instrument as far as music uh just probably vocals vocals and guitar so I, i i play guitar and i write songs but um, I've been the frontman or just a, a rhythm guitarist on occasion and singer in all the bands I've ever been in. So I, I'm my I prefer to write lyrics and melodies and and sing. Um, I love playing guitar. That'd be my second instrument. But um, rarely do I play. Have I played guitar in bands? I mean, I'm decent at guitar. I can I can uh, play a mean rhythm section, but I'm not really a solo lead guitarist by any means. And uh, I'm kind of limited there, so, um, so yeah. Usually I just sing, just just sing and yeah. write lyrics. So that's awesome. Yeah, I always I always kind of want to be a. I play guitar. I always wanted to be kind of a lead guy, but I think I've fallen to just I don't know. I always find it a little easier, a little more my pace to be a rhythm person. Yeah, and if you and if you like singing and playing guitar at the same time, I I would prefer to play rhythm and sing because it's you know it's very difficult to sing and, and play lead at the same time. I know there are guitarists that can do that and that just blows my mind. I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the talent level is ridiculous for people that can do that. But yeah, for me, I'm power chords and, and screaming basically <laughs> singing songs. That's, that's typically what stuff, I've in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. That's the fun stuff. I like to be expressive. It's therapeutic, you know? You definitely got the front man energy for sure. So I, I can definitely see that. And, you know, I've listened to some of your music. You definitely do have a, a way of putting the uh, ener- energy behind the vocals and stuff like that. That's that's the hard part for a lot of people. Is to, you can sing, but can you really pull that energy out of you? Put yeah, it you? I appreciate that, man. That's, that's what I've always went for. Like, I want it to be – I'm more of a um, – not not so much the virtuoso type of musician i'm more of the i want to take you on a ride and and really like chopin like i want it to be emotional like i want you to feel something and it took me a long time to get there i i I took a lot of vocal lessons um after my first band uh my first band was called 12 under 
And uh, after our first recording, I, I was in college at the time. I was probably, or no, this I was just fresh out of the military, and I was hanging out at San Diego State uh, with some fraternity guys that were actually in the band. So I felt like I was kind of going to college during those years, but I was just friends with people that went there. Um, but we started playing all the fraternity houses and stuff, and um, we recorded a, a at this place called Exum Studios out there in California in Escondido, and when I listened back to it, I was like, ah, it's good, but like, fuck, I could be better at singing. So, um, I took lessons for some years and then I, I discovered, uh, Melissa cross. I don't know if you guys are familiar. She's, uh, uh, got a DVD called vocal instruction for a new breed. It's called the Zen of screaming yeah. and she's the vocal. <laughs> yeah. And she's, the, she's a two DVD set now. And she's the voice teacher for Andrew WK for, um, the singer for lamb of God. Uh, a lot of the metal singers, uh, have gone to her and learned how to scream properly. So as soon as I discovered her vo- vocal warmups, I was, I was solid on stage. Any show I played, uh, I could feel the power. I could, like as soon as I learned where to sing from your diaphragm and all that kind of stuff. So it was a game changer when I learned the dynamics of all that stuff. So, yep. It's those little, awesome. little tips, you know, it's it's the small details that make the biggest differences. Oh, yeah. And I mean, when just not blowing out your voice, I mean, I've seen one of my favorite bands uh, strung out, Jason Cruz. Uh, I've seen him many times blow his voice out on stage and they would cut the show, the show short. And um, I've seen it happen with Tim McElrath from Rise Against, too. Uh, during, there was a few tours there after their, I think, third or fourth record where I've seen them. I've seen Rise Against probably more than most punk rock bands and I always thought Tim had a tough time pulling off the record power on stage uh, later down the road. So maybe it's aging, maybe it's touring that just wears on people. But even even um, vocalists that know what they're doing and, and know how to keep their longevity on tour uh, still, you know, time and and probably behavior habits <laughs> get involved and uh, you're going to blow your voice out at some point. So. You know, it's just a, a matter of learning, like you said, the, the details that can help you keep it going for a longer period of time without hurting yourself. Yeah, and I, I never, you know, thought about that, too, the longevity of, of being a vocalist. Oh, yeah. If you, go, if you go, uh, go out on tour for, you know, three, four months and you're singing every night or every other night, that's, that's going to take a toll if you're not taking care of yourself. I remember uh, uh, Maynard from Tool saying that, when he's on tour, he was as healthy and holistic and as much water as he could possibly drink. He rarely, rarely smoked or drank or partied or anything like that on tour just so he could keep it, keep it going. So. Wow. Um, how, how, how did you get into, into punk rock music? Like, how did I get into it? Like started liking it and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, probably when I was in the military, I was stationed in San Diego and, uh, there was a big punk rock scene in San Diego. Lots of bands came out came out of their Unwritten Law, Blink-182, um, Asian 51. They just got signed to Epitaph recently, actually. Uh, so, there, I mean, San Diego was just chock full of punk rock bands. And um, I think it was just the environment that I was growing up in as soon as I got out of the military and I stayed living out there and I started a band at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at first, it was like, uh nirvana and green day stuff because that's what that was uh when those bands came out or uh 
Nirvana, I think Kurt died probably a few years before I actually got to the Navy. I was still in high school at the time, but that was the music I wanted to play was like Nirvana type stuff and Green Day and that kind of stuff. And then it just so happened that once I started playing in a band or starting a band out there, um, I was in this environment where I saw everybody. I mean, you know, AFI, Strung Out, Lagwagon, Me First in the Gimme Gimme's, uh, Pennywise. Uh, you know, I mean, all the California SoCal skate punk bands played all over all the time. All I mean, you could go catch one of those bands every week somewhere, you know, I mean, it was just awesome. Like any night you had off work, you could go out and you could go see a great show. So I was lucky enough to be in San Diego during those years. And I think that's probably what started it, uh, being in the environment and having it be just part of my culture. I would have been around punk rock even if I didn't like it. So um, it it, ben, it benefited me that I liked it because I was in the environment where I could thrive and start bands and get shows and start doing little tours and that kind of stuff. So, And there's so many recording studios in Southern California. Oh, my God. You can throw a rock and hit someone that can record you. I mean, it's crazy. It is. It's crazy. There's so many out there. So um I got that a little bit of that experience under my belt early on too, because I had access to it all over the place. So that was helpful. I was going to ask Andrew as somebody who just kind of moved into that scene. Um, how, how welcoming was the scene? Cause I think a lot of times people think that it's a very, I don't know, just a crazy kind of lifestyle, but how welcoming did you find it? Yeah. I mean, I think when people think punk rock, they think, you know, spiked, leather jacket uh you know crazy hair piercings the tattoos the whole deal right big big goth boots or whatever um and that i mean that is a part of punk rock but uh my friend adam when he describes punk rock i love how he says it he said that he says that uh the sonic landscape under the umbrella of punk rock is so vast there's so many different genres of what is labeled punk rock music that um not everybody knows all the totality of it. They just think of it, whatever they, you know, unless they've been to a show and they've seen the scene and been a part of it, then it's just the stereotype that they assume it is from whatever they've seen out there. Right. But for me, like I said, it was the culture of the area I was living in Southern California at the time. So, I mean, I, I would think it was very, very welcoming, lots of surfers and snowboarders and skaters and, um, the girls girls loved the music in that area it was just part of it was like being in a country music band in the midwest somewhere you know you grow up going to high school and everyone's listening to country everyone's boot scooting on the weekend you know what i mean so <laughs> yeah you know what i mean i mean it's line dancing oh, yeah. all the time it's just the culture so living in southern california the culture at the time was was punk rock and then over time that turned into club shit and EDM and then EDM just took over San Diego. I don't even know if there's a punk scene in San Diego anymore. It's all clubs and DJs nowadays. So. Yeah. Uh, punk rock was, uh, cause it was all around. I feel I was thinking about the Tony Hawk skateboarding, like the first Tony Hawk skateboard. Game oh yeah. Hell out. yeah. That blew up punk. I feel for sure. It's so like, iconic. I mean, if you got a song on Tony Hawk, I mean, you were made, you know, I mean, and then, I mean, Rise Against, that's what happened to Rise Against. They got, uh, I think their song Drones. I can't remember what song it is on uh, Madden, on the video game Madden. And they went over the top from um, it just in popularity. I, I remember when I saw Rise, because Rise Against was kind of like a, a, a upstart band at the time. 
And I remember when I saw their song on Madden when I, cause I'm a big Madden guy, I like football. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm one of those idiots that buys the new version every year. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> There's a difference. There's a little yeah. bit of a difference. There's here. a little bit of a difference, but I mean, you're basically, it's the same game, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, I remember looking at the playlist because they always have different playlists on the Madden games at each year. And I saw Rise Against on there. I remember thinking to myself, holy shit, they're blowing. They're about to blow up. I'm like, they're going to make so much money off of this. And sure enough, then they were headlining tours after that. So, Yeah. Um, yeah. Lots of the music I, I get into is honestly from video games, <laughs> like the soundtracks on video games. I'm like, It's a it's great. A, it's an experience, right? When you're, when, it's the hype song before the game even starts. So it means a little bit, you know, you absorb it in a little more. Yeah. I mean, and people connect to music uh, in many different ways, like you're saying. And I mean, there, there are songs that I know all the lyrics to that I hate. I fucking can't stand the song, but, <laughs> yeah. but it's so catchy. It's so catchy and it's so repetitively played in your environment on radio or what, you know, whatever that you can't help, but, absorb it by osmosis somehow so I, th- I think you're right i mean if you keep hearing the same songs every time you're playing a video game eventually they're stuck in your head and then you're going to know the band and you're going to go see what other music they have and yeah great way to introduce people to new music through video games yeah and and i was gonna say too like um with the with that punk scene the san diego punk scene it was just like when blink 182 also like i, I know zach you just saw them yeah, I saw them a couple nights ago. Actually, it's kind of funny you mentioned that. I know some people. I mean, it's pop punk, so I don't know like how much is considered punk. But yeah, I actually saw them a few nights ago. It was pretty cool. Who was that? Who'd you see? Uh, Blink. In, uh, oh Miami. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm... I I love Blink One Eighty Two. They're they're it, it the they are a punk like I, I guess you could say that they were one of the first pop punk bands. I would say Green Day is probably one of the first pop punk bands, but um. You can't say that Blink-182 isn't punk rock. Those guys are stand-up comedians on stage. They're performers. They, I just saw them at Coachella. They're saying, fuck cancel culture and fuck uh, uh, cancellation. You know, I did an episode about that, actually. And it was like, uh, Tom was like, this is a fucking punk rock show. Fuck cancellation. We're all, we, we come here to have a good time. Like, I just loved how they tackled wokeism. Uh, w- when they played that iconic show at Coachella, because they just, they, you know, it was their triumphant return. And they came on stage and just killed it. And they were hilarious. And they were thumbing their nose at anybody that, you know, was trying to be part of wokeism and cancel culture. So I, for me personally, I thought that was punk rock as fuck. I loved it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I jealous mean, now. I, I st- watched the stream of that concert, but they were amazing at Coachella. That's awesome that you got to see them live like that. Well, I didn't see them live at Coachella, but I just saw all the videos. Okay, and, okay I got you. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, I didn't get, I haven't been to Coachella since Rage Against the Machine reunited back in 2010. <laughs> long time but uh and that was a hell of a show too uh brief aside but uh yeah i was very impressed with um i, I went in and out of liking blink 182 uh during their heyday years but i i thought they were even better now than they were before they, they've tightened up a lot and um their stage show is great so i think they did a good job i mean uh for me it's like you know that they're what got me into punk rock with uh, what's my age again, <laughs> which is strange to see yeah. three grown men, you know, streaking through the streets, <laughs> you know, and like, and then uh, I saw the album cover and it had like the hot nurse and I'm like, well, I'm set. This is like, <laughs> this great, is mar- like... great marketing. 
<laughs> I am about this. Yeah, and that and and they were they were popular before that. So it's interesting how they got big. So their first record, Cheshire Cat, was huge around San Diego, and they were getting popular by uh, doing the punk. Or, I'm sorry, the uh, like surf and skate videos back in the day. That was how punk bands got known. As they would be, like you said, just like a video game, the background music for surfer videos or skateboarding videos and stuff like that, snowboarding, and um, it was. That, that was how Blink started out getting popular around San Diego. And then when Dude Ranch dropped that, and I remember thinking when that album dropped that this was their big mainstream label, you know, whatever, they were going to blow up there. And they kind of did. Uh, that song, Damn It, uh, had a video and everybody loved that song, especially in Southern California. And they were selling out all over Southern California at the time. But like you said, when uh, that Anima of the State record came out, that was what sent them over the top. Absolutely. But to this day, uh, Dude Ranch, I'll say, is probably my favorite of their albums. Me too. Yeah, they're, they're, there's uh, songs on that that are, I think, some of their best music. Uh, Josie. I love the song Josie. Oh, and, it's uh, funny you mentioned that because that's one I was hoping they would play and they didn't. And they still end on Damn It to this day. That's the... That's their closer and has been for a long time, which yeah. I, that's the first song I ever heard by myself. Yeah, that was as soon as Damn It came out, I was like, I got to learn how to play this song. I fucking love this song. <laughs> I'm going to play this everywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm going to cover it while you're touring on it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, the most iconic like uh, guitar, you know, intro, you know, it's for especially for beginning guitar players. It's a good song to, to learn. And, and that's, you know, and that's another way I got into punk rock music, too, is when I was learning how to play guitar, uh, I never was really taught. Uh, I, I kind of self-taught myself through tablature. I learned through reading tablature and, and understanding where your fingers are supposed to go. And, oh, once you get it in that point, that's an E chord or that's a G chord. Or, uh, and, and I had an idea of music because I played drums and I played trombone and band and stuff during high school. And that's when I kind of learned how to read music. But I never learned how to really read music for guitar or piano or anything like that. Like most people do. I just kind of pieced it together from tablature. And then over time I understood, Oh, this is an E minor. This is a G, this is a C. And, uh, you know, and then even to this day, I think I've just kind of picked up keys and scales from learning, just playing the same power chords and reading tablature for all these different bands. And I remember thinking to myself during those years, like, if I can teach myself how to play a Nirvana song or Green Day song, well, I can start writing music as soon as I understand the mechanics of it. And that's how I actually started uh, being confident enough to write songs and, and then start bands is because I just dove into that philosophy during those years. So, um, yeah, I think that's another way I got into punk rock music uh, to go back to that question is it was the only music that I could play. And I was so blown away that i learned enough to be able to even do that that i kind of just stayed there i didn't really like i said before i've never like tried to be a lead player or, or become a virtuoso and become the best i possibly can at guitar i just wanted to write good songs and i love you know feel however you want to feel about fat mike from no effects but one of my favorite things he ever said was uh if you want to be in a punk rock band you don't have to be a good musician you have to be able to write a good song if you can't write good music then you're never going to be good at punk rock and I think I agree completely. Yeah, and, and that's that's goes in with the whole like music scene, right? Because there was even a time when it was like, oh, your music's too simple. It's not good. I'm going to listen to really 
technical music that actually sucks but i'm gonna pretend like i like it because <laughs> they're doing a lot of really difficult shit you know? well and that's and you know what i mean that's that's the that sonic landscape i was talking about i mean think about blink 182 or green day right and then think about um i don't know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like um straight line they're a european fast skate punk band or like strung out just uh, fast or poor habit i don't know if you guys mm -hmm. are familiar with poor habit but you're talking fast technical two-part guitars the fastest drums you've ever heard on a song in your life that wasn't a heavy metal song the most technical guitar you've ever heard that wasn't heavy metal and i mean that's that's the levels of you know musicianship in punk rock to me you know you think about just the drums by themselves you have that 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 and then you have that you know what i mean i mean you have every type of speed uh in under that umbrella of punk rock but the common theme is the music has to be good you have to write good songs it doesn't matter how technical you are but if you can be a technical and fast player or band especially like strung out with their two-part guitar um and you write good songs boom you got the golden ticket you're going to be pretty popular if you can do both. So um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Strung Out, but uh, you, they have these breakdown videos where they strip, uh, they strip away the vocals and the bass and the drums. And all you're hearing is what the two guys are playing simultaneously and the, and the sound and the different parts and dynamics it creates. And it is absolutely fascinating. I, I, I recommend anybody, Go check that out. And I think Jake Kiley from the band, one of the main guitarists, uh, one of the guitarists rather for Strung Out actually teaches guitar on YouTube. I think he has a YouTube channel where he teaches guitar and uh, he'll come on and do the riffs from the Strung Out songs just to show people. He does it all the time. So um, I recommend that for people that like fast punk rock, skate punk music. Yeah, definitely go check that out. Sounds cool. Um, but for me too, I was a bit of a, you know, cause I got, Blink-182 kind of set me off, and then me, I wanted to be, like, cool. I was more of, like, a, what is, what is um, but I, I wanted to listen to the old shit. Like, oh, I'm, I listened to the original bands, bro. Fucking crap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, New York, New York Dolls, MC5, you know, The Clash, yeah, the Ramones, Sex Pistols. All those bands are awesome, and they, all, they were all definitely punk rock for their era, too. And it's interesting to see how the styles have kind of, grown and changed over time but you, you still know a, a punk rock song when you hear one you know like you said it goes back to that ang that uh angst and that energy of it, it's got to have that fuck you vibe a little bit yeah you know what i mean <laughs> definitely that's, that's what i love about it that's the main main note for a punk rock song is the fuck you vibe <laughs> yeah and you know i know a lot of of adhd like uh, I'm an ADHD kid. I, I was kind of a hyper kid my entire life and very analytical. And as soon as I discovered guitar and music, I mean, it's like I got autistic with it. You know what I mean? And I think that's how a lot of uh, musicians, it's, it's therapeutic uh, at the same time as enjoyable because you have this challenge. And as soon as you overcome the challenges, it's just it's like a self-fulfilling you just want to keep doing it and doing it and doing it like as soon as, as soon as i wrote my first couple songs i was like this is what i'm going to do for the rest of my life whether i'm successful or not i'm like this is exactly how i'm going to um get through stuff and and, and it's going to be therapeutic for me because that's how i felt about it right away so 
I'd still be writing music even if I was never in a band, I think. I think I would have just kept doing it and doing it, doing it regardless. I've always loved it. Yeah, for me, uh, you know, I play a little bit of guitar and stuff. I need to get back into it. But like you're saying, like, I'd almost, like, play – I'd I'd come up with a certain chord. And for me, I have a problem remembering shit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I'm, like, for, like, 30 minutes to an hour, I'll play, like, this, this song to myself. And I'm just like loving it so much, you know. Oh yeah. I'm writing it down to play it for another person, but like you said, therapeutic. I'm getting. Yeah, you're almost like going to a trance. Oh, absolutely. That's what I was gonna say. It's like you're just. It, it is a spiritual experience. I mean, and the frequencies. Like I actually tuned my guitar to 432 hertz, and I actually think it sounds and feels better when I play the same songs. I didn't even realize that I could set a tuner to change the the hertz frequencies on there and stuff but a lot of them are set to 440 standard or they were back in the day, but you can change it now. So it's interesting to mess with the frequencies that you tune to also, because I think, I think when we were on Mick and V Lynn's show, we were talking about that a little bit. He, he was telling me these different frequency bands to tune to and see how it made me feel when I played. I was like, God, I got to get into that. It's very fascinating stuff. Yeah, I never knew you could do that. That's pretty cool. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, I didn't know about it for years. and I mean, shit, I've been in bands for 10, 15 years, and I learned about that literally on that podcast or right before that podcast. So, yeah, it's it's crazy how a new, uh, the, uh, you know new worlds open up to you as soon as you learn the little stupid thing. It makes you pissed off that you didn't learn the stuff sooner, you know? <laughs> do, you, do you mean like it makes you, you can, I don't know if it sounds silly, you feel it in your body or it just makes you feel a different way as you're playing that uh, something that sounds a little different. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what you play probably like if you're trying to have a happy fun vibe at 432 Hertz and you're playing metal, um, it's, it's still going to sound like metal. It just might sound less uh, like rigid and more palatable, I guess. But the only thing I can compare it to that to is uh, Bob Marley, Bob Marley's band uh, tuned uh, to 432 Hertz. And people say that it's part of the reason why you feel so fucking amazing when you listen to reggae, uh, reggae music. (laughs) And it's true because, because there's a, there's a big reggae music scene in, uh, in Southern California also. I mean, Southern California is just a great place to be for all kinds of music. Really. There's a scene for everything if you look for it. Um, But I remember seeing reggae bands playing uh, on the beach and boy, the feeling you get when you're out in that nice weather and the sun's on you and you might smoke a little bit, you know, and, maybe do some psychedelics, whatever you're into. And you're listening to Bob Marley. I mean, it's, it's spiritual, man. That That's the, the way I feel when I listen to reggae is it, it takes you places. And so, um, yeah, the whole frequency thing is new to me and I'm definitely going to start playing with it a little bit, see what happens. That's really cool that you mentioned Bob Marley like that. Cause I would definitely agree that there's always been like a sense, sense of warmth or something when you listen to his music and I could, that's really cool how you were able to, to compare it like that. Yeah, I mean it's 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 easy to describe, I guess, when you felt it. Like I remember seeing it's not just Bob Marley. I mean, just reggae music in general. I remember seeing uh, Steel Pulse and Slightly Stupid and Stick Figure and bands like that, Pepper, and just the vibe is the happiest, fun music, chill, relaxing energy uh, of all styles and genres to me. I think like if I'm really having a a, a shit day. Uh, if I put a reggae song on and just listen for a few minutes, like I, I'm probably feeling better by the end of the song already. So I feel like reggae is kind of medicine for some people. Yeah. 
that's what's the whole thing Definitely. with uh the ganja uh thing uh, for sure yeah. oh yeah it's not a leisure thing it's a spiritual smoke you know you smoke to get like more divine <laughs> yeah it, oh for sure to in in the rastafarian culture i mean that's it's their religion that's what they believe so yeah absolutely it is spiritual which is crazy too because they also have um because you know because i i went to jamaica like i think last year and um sweet i heard they're like the cops there like there's a or the older folks they don't like me they don't like marijuana like you think all jamaicans are institute but the older people i guess they're like religious they're not really into it they're not rastas so that's why you're really only allowed to smoke on like the beach or in hmm. like desi designated areas you just can't walk around smoking it interesting i didn't know that yeah i would imagine though there is uh, there's always going to be your traditional more conservative part of the culture probably happens a little bit in every culture yeah but honestly it was funny when i when i when we came up because i was on a cruise when i saw the island it literally looked like there was like smoke clouds coming off of the island. oh nice, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> i think it comes from like barbecuing or something like that where's yeah. jamaica oh it's that one <laughs> it's that smoking it's the one over there <laughs> smoke that's on fire yeah <laughs> Either way, it's a good sign. If it's food or weed, you're, you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, the one thing I did not like about Jamaica is they are hustlers. The street vendors and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I walk every single one I walked by. It was like almost forcing me to go inside of their store. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and I'll say like it, it was annoying, but I got to give respect. They all shot their shot. <laughs> they all took a shot like, yeah well they don't have a choice yeah that's yeah. why it's so cutthroat i've heard that it's like from the airport to the beach it's you, you're gonna encounter some shit <laughs> i've heard that about a lot of uh caribbean islands nations yeah uh but other than that yeah i had a great time beautiful beautiful place oh i'm sure i'd love to go down there but, well, I was gonna, uh, uh, oh sorry go ahead ron well i guess i was in uh transition a little bit and have Andrew like you know we talked about the punk rock but uh like he was mentioned before politics is definitely the beginning of the thing just kind of how he got into that and for maybe some people that haven't listened to his show just give a little background on that kind of side of his of his podcast yeah uh that's awesome yeah uh so um I guess the best way to describe it is uh that's the other half of my concept so when I thought about doing a podcast um I thought, well, what have I done that I, what, what do I want to talk about? What do I have to offer? Uh, what am I experienced in? And um, so I served in the United States Navy for four years, uh, right out of high school. So I graduated high school on uh, June 1st of that year. And two months to the day later, I was in boot camp. So I didn't waste any time. I graduated high school and boom, I was off. Wow. And um so I was in the military very, very young. I was probably one of the youngest people in the service at the time. Um, and I uh, did two Western Pacific deployments during those four years. So what that means is I was stationed on an amphibious ship, which was is basically um, a marine taxi service. It's, uh, it's basically a helicopter landing pad boat that has uh, a stern gate at the end of the ship, at the back of the ship. And uh, that, sh that door folds down. And uh, in the hull of the ship, they have uh, what's called ballast tanks and they'll fill the ballast tanks to sink the ship a little bit more. So water will start flushing up into the back of the ship mm -hmm. through this open stern gate. And then the Marine vehicles, the amphibious vehicles 
will drive literally from the ship into the water throughout the back and to the beach to go do a raid or an assault or whatever right so that's what yeah. i did i played war games for three and a half years on a marine amphibious ship in the navy uh and a western pacific deployment i did too and what that means is you deploy on your ship your ship is going all over the world stopping at different port stops uh for anywhere from six to eight months at a time so in those four years of being in the navy i was at sea literally out in the middle of the ocean for over half of that time damn so yeah it was one hell of a life <laughs> lifestyle and experience um so yeah i was i've i've been all over the world i've set foot on five different continents and i did that before i could legally drink a drop of alcohol in the united states of america <laughs> so crazy right yeah i mean i'd seen all those countries and experienced all that life when i was 19 20 21 years old i got out of the navy in when i was 22 and during that time i had already started playing music in san diego um and i had a band that was starting to get shows and here i am getting off the ship and and literally I remember thinking to myself, uh, as I was walking off my ship, never to return for the last time, I remember thinking to myself, I'm gonna go be a rock star. <laughs> yeah. I remember I remember thinking I'm living in Southern California. Um, I don't wanna go back to rural Minnesota where I'm from when I have all this opportunity right in front of me and I was having so much fun and I had a good group of friends. I was like, it would be stupid for me to leave. Why would I leave? So. Um, so anyway, so fast forward to all those, after all those years of playing music, I moved back to Minnesota to be closer to my family and um, kind of get out of California. I feel like California is eating itself and uh, I needed to get out of there before it started falling into the ocean. So um, <laughs> then I, when I got back to Minnesota, I, I started a band here and that kind of fizzled out just because guys were getting older and having families and settling down a little bit more. And uh, so at that point I was like, podcasting started becoming a thing and i and i was like well what back to my original point what am i good at what do i know so i know politics philosophy history i read at length in college so during my 17 years in san diego um i went to community college for four years and then i transferred to san diego state and graduated with a degree in sociology uh and so i read and read and read and read and read philosophers uh, political books, political science. Um, uh, I started kind of getting interested in, I kind of had my first conspiratorial aha moments, uh, probably around 25, 26 years old after um, I took experiences I had in the military and then started paying attention to what was happening in government. And, and I started kind of looking at the landscape of the country and I started having questions about stuff and so i started digging into it and that's i think how it starts for all of us right <laughs> you, you learn one little thing and then you're like okay well if this was bullshit and i was told this my entire life what else do i need to go figure out if it's true or if it's bullshit and then here we are now we're all on podcast talking about all this crazy stuff that we've researched <laughs> and uh that's how it started for me so i was like i'm going to put the two of these together i'm going to talk about the world and how crazy it is and how the history uh of things are how we got to where we are what's true what's not true i wanted to tackle that kind of subject matter and then i wanted to kind of be a dj guy that um that uh introduced a, a music group or you know or featured a punk rock band kind of like uh 
uh, your late night talk shows, right? They'll have a couple guests on and then they'll go to the musical guests, just like uh, Saturday Night Live kind of does that concept. And so I kind of wanted to use that framework for my podcast. I'll do an introduction, I'll come on, I'll talk about something, a few different topics, and then I'll end by having the musical guest and then doing the outro. And I kind of organize the podcast like I would organize a song, you know, a verse, chorus, verse, bridge, outro kind of thing. So that's how it happened. I, I put the, together the politics and punk rock podcast and that's what I do. I talk about the crazy shit that goes on in the world. And then I feature an up and coming punk rock band or an established punk rock band that has given me permission to play their music on my show. So that's how it started. Any, anybody here, if you're in, <laughs> you know, that's, I like how you have that set up and that's pretty cool. Like you said, uh, kind of like how the Saturday Night Live did it or something like that. Like, yeah, I was used to love you. You know, you watch a few skits and it's like, mm-hmm. uh, um, please welcome so-and-so. Boom, they come out and play a song, kind of changes up the vibe. Uh, the music adds a different element. They're going from comedy to music. And then they, you know, it's it's kind of like that whole Blink-182 thing we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Between songs, those guys are stand-up comedians on stage. You know, and it's entertaining. That's it, It's why they can pack arenas without being the best musicians you've ever heard. Cause you're not going for the musicianship. You're going for the show. You're going for the feeling you're going for the experience. And uh, that's kind of what I'm trying to recreate on my show too, is we're going to get serious and then we're going to have a good time and rock out. And that's going to be it. Yeah. I love that idea because then even if you're, you know, talking about or discussing some pretty heavy stuff, you kind of get to end on a great note of, you know, music, like we were mentioning earlier, something that's kind of therapeutic for most people. So it's a great concept. Yeah. And I try if people that listen to every episode of my show know that whatever songs I feature, if I'm lucky enough to get creative enough with it, um, the song I feature has lyrics or vibe that themes up with what I was talking about in the episode. And um, I've, I've gotten better at that over time. And actually, there's been times where um, I didn't know what I was going to do the, the show on. And then I did the show and it kind of turned into whatever it turned into. And then I was like, okay, uh, what bands do I have uh, in the Rolodex that are up next that uh, I can feature for the show? And uh, I always have a conversation with all the bands before I do their feature. So we, you know, they know what's coming kind of deal. And um, I'll, sometimes I'll set, have them send me lyrics or songs that they want uh, me to feature. And then I'll save those for a show where it kind of themes up. Uh, other times, I've been it just fall in my lap. This first song I listen to, I'm like, holy shit, this team's up already. I'm going to use this song. Or I like this band and I haven't talked to them yet. So I'll message them and I'll say, hey, I really like your band. I really like the song I wanted to feature it on my podcast. And nine times out of 10, they say, hell yeah, go right ahead. So um, it's a good way to build relationships with uh, all the punk bands and the punk scene. Um, I've got permission from Allegedly Records, an indie label. Uh, to play every artist in their catalog. We're kind of co-promoting each other. And uh, it's a great way to uh, promote everybody under under the umbrella of punk rock bands and and people in the podcasting community. So it's, it's worked out really well. And um, I, I enjoy it so much that even if money never comes and the show doesn't blow up to be some big thing, I'll probably always do it because... Uh, like I said before, people that have heard my show, they've heard me say this before that um, I do my show for me. I don't really do it for you. If you like it, awesome. Listen, but a lot of times I'm just doing it for me. It's yeah. my new it's my new songwriting. 
you know, because I'm not really writing songs anymore. I'm more writing uh, and putting and creating podcasts. So for me, it's working out that way. And um, lately I've been like, you guys invited me on. I've been getting asked to come out and, and do uh, other people's shows. And that's obviously helping out. We're all co uh, promoting each other and creating a community. And I think, uh, I think people get drawn in even more when there is a community of people doing similar things. And I think um, all of our shows benefit from all of us co-guesting on each other's shows and that kind of thing. You get to know people that you've never met and it's just a, a beautiful medium that we have now where we can talk to people all over the world and uh, develop relationships with people in a culture where that seems to be going away. <laughs> people don't want to talk to each other anymore. They're too scared of each other. Society's crazy. Uh, the government wants us to hunker down and be locked down in our homes. So um, I think it was only a matter of time before people started getting online and talking to each other. So here we are. Yeah, we're, we're keeping the party going, right? Because Keeping uh, the party going. <laughs> parties back in the day, like, it was all about getting together, having conversations, uh, you know, connecting and connecting yep. but but now parties is just about social media cloud like taking posts the stupid shit you know it's like it the even parties aren't even fun anymore yeah i don't <laughs> I, I haven't i haven't been to a like college party in years and years but i wonder how like i wonder if they're woke i wonder if they just degenerate <laughs> into fights people are fucking screaming at each other ah you're a misogynist you're 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 not this or that and it's like i mean back in the day we used to just rage we would drink and we'd dance and everyone was trying to hook up and it was a great time those are good old days <laughs> you weren't worried about people. other stuff like that yeah. yeah you weren't worried about what people's feelings or you weren't worried about you were worried about fights breaking out you were worried about 10 guys fighting each other like that was what my college days were like i don't even know i can't even imagine what it's like now passing out too early and getting written on <laughs> Well, and people, kids are doing all this. I mean, drugs now, like, shit, I wouldn't do anything. I, I used to buy pe stuff from people I would meet randomly at parties. That is far too dangerous these days. I mean, these kids can't even can't even uh, explore, like, you know, expanding their mind uh, safely anymore because of all the fentanyl, all the shit that they're putting into stuff these days. So I feel bad for kids. Like, their experience is much different than my generation. Yeah, um, going out, you know, uh, just running amok. Like now, um, I heard recently a lot of kids, they don't even want to go outside. It's just all about staying indoors. That's weird to me. It's sad. Yeah, going but out, running through the woods and shit. <laughs> it's part of social engineering, though, man. Like, I feel like that's that's the goal. They're going to, each generation, they're going to chip away at all of that, um, that kind of stuff. And we are. They're just going to get plugged into technology and never leave their homes and step one on the way to matrix world, you know? Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like that's how it is at ready, ready player one game, Like that's the future. Oh yeah. And then, and you're going to make money somehow with crypto and have you guys seen black mirror? The oh, series yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. That's just crazy. That show is I swear to God, the World Economic Forum and the CIA probably partnered on that propaganda <laughs> because it is such a crazy uh, look into what I believe, and this is just my humble opinion, 
some of their serious plans for the world are. Like the one where the kid, they live in the pod, the kid gets up, he goes in and he bicycles on that, on that like spin machine all day and he keeps uh, earning yeah, those yeah. points on those coins and that's his money to go buy stuff. And But he's always in this enclosed world and he's basically a slave. And I'm like, man, like if you think through the the progression of the technical AI era that we're in right now and you kind of look at what's happening and if you th- theorize the the development of that over time you can see like where all the science fiction stuff comes from i mean as soon as it became possible like as soon as artificial intel- intelligence became a real thing that's going to be a game changer that's going to change human society forever yeah, I don't I don't know. I probably don't have all the details right, but I don't know if y'all saw a lot of the reason that the actors are going on strike is because they want to start making it where they can record an, a background actor one time and then use AI to use them as many times as they want going forward without having to pay pay them. So you imagine that happening to any kind of job with AI. Oh, yeah. They've been doing that with the deep fake uh, technology already. And I mean, even back when it was just CGI, I mean, that was step one. C- CGI was step one to deep fakes and ai see that's a perfect example of how this stuff is going to progress over time eventually humans are going to merge with the computer it's like it really is going to be the matrix world you sit in a chair they plug you in and boom that's that's your life you're sitting in a chair or you're sitting in a pot of gelatinous goo with all this shit plugged into your body keeping you alive batteries for the machines <laughs> just like in that Black right? Mirror episode right that's that's why he was riding on the bicycle he was just generating electricity for exactly exactly and and that's and the one where everyone just wants the likes they send the the social credit one where the girl's uh liking everybody on the phone throughout the entire uh, yeah. episode and then she <laughs> freaks out when uh she gets a demotion for whatever reason i mean that's already happening that was forecasting social uh credit scores and and uh, everything going digital and maybe microchips in your hand and all that shit. Like very, very interesting predictive programming. That Black Mirror series was forecasting to me, in my opinion. And and even at the end of the episode, I remember she's like, they get they throw her in jail and she's like talking shit to the dude in the cell across from her. And that was freedom for her, was finally just saying, fuck you and just let it all out and not caring about other people's thoughts and opinions. I love that. She she was free. I I love that you brought that up because you know what that reminds me of punk rock. She went, she went punk. That's when she, 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 it was like uh, Evie and V for Vendetta. Once you've hit rock bottom and you've lost everything. Now you're, now you're free to do everything, anything, right? That's, that's punk rock shit right there. I love that. And that's what a lot of people need to start thinking about is getting, themselves into a position where they feel that way because you know a lot of us podcasters or truthers or conspiracy theorists or however you want to you know researchers people that are, have an intellectual curiosity to save the world and actually figure out what's really going on and try to figure out solutions to the problems uh that takes a lot of balls and a lot of courage and it's tougher to accept that the reality of the world is the way it is when you are so uh blinded and and brainwashed and manipulated with the tv and the propaganda and you know i I think it's very interesting that right after world war ii they that's when they rolled out the tv the tv set and then we've been in perpetual war and and they've sold it to us and and made us comfortable with living with their bullshit through media and through the television and 
it's just crazy. That I mean, that was the beginning of artificial intelligence. If you want to go back that far, in my opinion, TV was step one to this this hive mind group brain concept where we're all connected through this thing that is external to us. You know, fascinating shit to me. I love it. It can definitely be a positive tool, but then uh, at the same time, it's it's developed warped realities. Oh, absolutely. It changes reality. Absolutely. It changes the real. It changes the reality of the time. I mean, can you just think back to how life must have been pre-television sets when it was just radio, or even before radio? Like, how did people get messages or in the telephone? I mean, you know, I mean, just these inventions change human culture and society in ways that it'll never go backwards. You know, it, it'll, it's always going to just progress and turn into something new. And um, I don't know, it's kind of scary, but it's kind of exciting. I think, I think it, it's, it can be really good or really bad and how we handle it and deal with stuff is probably going to determine that, I guess. And we're definitely in that golden era. Like we, we, we're seeing the transition. Uh, I'm guessing you're like around your forties or so. Yeah. I'm in my mid forties. Getting old. So, same thing and uh we're close to 40 but it's we're in we're we're in this uh era where we had uh analog devices you know the phone and how things were we saw the technology advance to the to the level it is now you know absolutely like, oh yeah i mean just i i remember thinking uh i think i got my first cell phone my first portable phone uh when i was in the military probably my first or second year and the year before that I got my first pager. Remember pagers? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, tell a kid about a pager these days and they're like, what kind of, you know, dinosaur ancient shit are you talking about? Right. Uh, or a, a rotary phone or people, kids that can't even read clocks anymore because everything went digital. It's like just that little tiny change in society, you know, took a complete, uh, commonly known experience off the table for the next generation of people and that's how it happens that's how it happens there one day these kids are just going to be okay with being inside all the time being connected to technology all the time and it's going to be weird to them to not be living that yeah. way you know while the elites and the people ruling the world are riding their bikes around and playing tennis and shit like that you know actually enjoying life yeah, flying in private jets and then going to, uh, you know, uh, environmental summits saying that we need to reduce carbon emissions and all the shit. So fucking hypocritical <laughs> yeah, and hilarious to me. There's that one prime minister. She, uh, she, you know, flew out in the private jet and then had her motorcade drop her off like two, uh, like two miles or a, something See, like that, two hundred yards from the event, and she and the, her bike. And that's the kind of shit that people. <laughs> People need to, if, if you can't put that together when you see something like that and say to yourself, okay, some of this is bullshit. These people are full of shit. Like that reminds me of, remember when COVID was happening and no one had a mask on and then, oh, cameras are going to roll. Everyone put your mask oh, on. Yeah. And then they put their mask on and then they did the little segment and then the cameras turned off. Everyone took their masks off. I'm like, you motherfuckers, you know what I'm saying? I was so pissed at seeing stuff like that. And that's how. I mean, I already had my own suspicions about government corruption, conspiracies, you know, when 9-11 happened and even before that. But COVID was just, fuck, I feel like I saw the power grabs of 
freedom and sovereignty and the ripping up of the constitution so much clearly during COVID. I remember when COVID first happened, I was like, here we go. Everything that I was feared may happen in the future. This is step one. And I was absolutely right about it. I called so much of that uh, draconian lockdown, taking of freedoms and, and superseding the constitution. Like I saw all that shit coming. I was right about all that shit. And I'm not alone. Millions of people saw it. It's not, it wasn't just me. I'm not trying to say that I'm some guru that was the only person that, that sniffed it out. But, you know, that, part of it is because I've seen some of this shit go down before. And then once I started studying history and, you know, seeing going back to JFK and uh, the church committee and the CIA days, the Lyndon Baines Johnson coming into office and seeing how uh, the agenda changed after they got JFK out of there. And then you go back even further to, Woodrow Wilson and and uh, the Federal Reserve and the IRS coming into the country. I mean, you can see the progression if you look at history, how they step by step, piece by piece, just took over what was supposed to be this free, uh, independent society. You know what I mean? So, you know, feel however you want to feel about Ronald Reagan or conservatives, but when he, when, when Reagan said freedom is always one to two generations away from extinction, he's absolutely right. He was absolutely right. Yeah. And it's the, the bubble of uh, also thinking um, that everything's just going to keep going on the way it is. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and don't worry. America will always be around. Like they don't realize how many empires have come and fall (laughs) and fallen, you know? Well, and they don't realize how big other empires in the world are growing right now, like China. China's mm-hmm. big, big, big problems for the United States, uh, how given how f- fast they are uh, growing technologically, militarily, um, <laughs> population-wise, um, artificial intelligence and the cyber stuff. They're probably five, ten years ahead of the United States. Uh, they're, we're in real trouble. And, and I would make the argument that the globalist types out there uh, China's the model. China's the model for the future and the new world order. And and America, if we don't get our shit together, we are going to be the disposable uh, scapegoat passing of the proverbial ch- torch to where we were an empire that rose and was amazing for a very short period of time, <laughs> two, three hundred years, historically speaking. And uh, we're going to be the example. We're, they're going to make an example out of us, uh, in my opinion. That's my theory, and I feel like I've been seeing it coming for a while now, and that's why I'm doing my show. I'm trying to show people what has happened, what is happening, and what I theorize is going to happen if we don't get our shit together. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, come listen to the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee they don't they don't uh, like punk rock in China. Oh, there's actually a punk rock scene. There, there is. There actually is. Actually, I actually, I actually, there's one, there's a big one in Italy and there's a big one in Australia right now too, actually. And um, I actually uh, posted a, um, an article. There's like a little story, like mini documentary thing that I saw somewhere about Shanghai's punk rock scene. There, there are Chinese people that are fuck the CCP, fuck communism. I mean, Hong Kong, when they were having their their uh, uprisings and stuff, they were waving American flags because they wanted freedom. Yeah. They wanted, and I, I remember making the argument. I was like, you know what? I will trade every woke American for every freedom-loving Chinese person and, and, and citizen of Hong Kong 
right now because those Absolutely. people, those people, <laughs> those people get it. Those let's just switch sides. Here you go. You guys want it. You guys want uh, the society that is like them and vice versa. Here you go. Perfect. Free ticket. All you freedom love in Hong Kong people. Here's your ticket to the United States. All you communist sympathizing uh, socialist woke kids from the United States. Here you go. Off to China you go. Communism. Fuck yeah. Have fun. <laughs> Dude, I love I love that plan. We need to really implement that. Start promoting it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what a great way to keep the people happy and not go to war over shit. I mean, let's do it, people. Let's get it together. <laughs> let's make that trade. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of like the racial Olympics on uh, the Chappelle show. We take yeah. we the black delegation take Tiger Woods. <laughs> oh man, funny. I was gonna I was gonna ask Andrew to kind of like mirror what you do you you mentioned a couple bands earlier so for anybody that like me who hasn't really been i've been like out of the punk rock game for a a long time give us like a band you would suggest to jump into that you really are really into at the moment like a modern band that's up and coming right now yeah Um, somebody more modern somebody that's yes up and coming still yeah there's a lot of great bands um they're a new one that i really love lately is called straight line uh, they are a fast, very technical skate punk band from Europe. Um, strung out for sure. Uh, one of my all-time favorite bands of all time. They are probably in my top five all-time favorite bands. Um, and then, but they're kind of an old school band. I wouldn't say that they're a newer one. Uh, there's a band called Much the Same that used to play back in the day, and they've re uh, formed and just put out a new record, and their stuff is amazing. Um, there's a band on allegedly records, uh, called personal crisis. Personal crisis is probably my new favorite band right now. I have been, uh, religiously playing their stuff lately. Um, Hmm. Who else? There's a lot. There's a lot of bands. Um, let me think. Quickly typing these all into a tab so I can give them a listen later. Um, who else did I? Oh, Bridge the Gap. I had Bridge the Gap on. They're a new punk rock band. They're uh, all over the place. They're doing great. Uh, awesome band. Uh, and then I, I, I would always, I also always try to recommend San Diego bands from my era that no one knows about. Uh, Asian 51, they just got signed to Epitaph. They're old school. They're great. Um, I feel like Unwritten Law is pretty popular these days, but um I, I do know a lot of people that have never heard of them when I talk about them. So I definitely recommend uh, unwritten law. They have some brand new, they have a brand new record out. That is amazing. Um, let's see. I, that, I guess that's off the top of my head. I could probably keep going, but yeah. <laughs> those are my, no, that's t- awesome. Those are my top ones at the moment that I'm checking out. Yep. Yeah. Unwritten law was one of those bands for me. We were talking about earlier. I remember one of their songs being on need for speed two or something like that. And, that was oh yeah, I found them. Yeah, yep. And that's one of the again back to that that uh, video game thing. Like so many bands blew up and and got some money to keep uh, doing their thing through video games. Absolutely. Um, I know we only have a little bit of time here left uh, in the episode. Um, so I was thinking, uh, if you if you're if you're down to close it out and and chat about a little bit of pro wrestling. <laughs> oh man, I'm always down to talk about. So that's another thing. So. Uh, I started watching wrestling when I was probably five years old with my grandpa. 
And uh, I grew up in Minnesota, and Minnesota is a huge, huge, huge professional wrestling training ground. Uh, how many pro wrestlers have you heard uh, in your day that are from Robbinsdale, Minnesota, or Minneapolis, Minnesota? I mean, countless pro wrestlers come from here. So uh, wrestling's a big deal. Uh, it always has been in my life since I was a child. And I... I don't think I've ever really talked about it very much, but I probably have some of the deepest pro wrestling historical knowledge than anyone <laughs> because it's been a part of my life since I was like five years old. So I am a hundred percent down to talk about pro wrestling. That is, that's so awesome. I'm, I've, I know Ron brought it up but right now. I'm a pretty gigantic wrestling fan as well. I've recently uh, finished watching every WCW nitro and now I'm making my way through watching raw, but, Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, who are some of the famous people out of Minnesota? Is it like uh, Kurt Henning, Rick Rude? Yep. So uh, Kurt, that's probably Kurt, a small list. Yep. So Kurt, Larry the Axe, uh, and then uh, Curtis Axel, his son. Uh, those three are generational wrestlers from here. Uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, like you said. Um, uh, I actually personally know Sean Devari. Sean Devari has a wrestling school here, and uh, he used to come see me at American Comedy Company when I was the floor manager for that comedy club in San Diego. Uh, I met him and Ken Anderson and uh, uh, CM Punk walked by me one time down there back in the day. Um, but Sean uh, Davari and um, uh, Gable, um, the Alpha Academy, Alpha Academy is in Minnesota. Um, okay. Yep. So they're big. Uh, and then just north of me, Winnipeg, that's Chris Jericho country. Uh, a lot of wrestlers out of uh, Canada, just north of us here in Minnesota. So um I know people back at the uh, in the territory days. Like I also personally know Greg Ganya. Greg Ganya comes into my restaurant all the time, and he's given me uh, signed prints uh, of him. And uh, I got a picture of him put me in a headlock and a sleeper hold. It's awesome. <laughs> he's a great guy. Awesome. But uh, awesome. yeah, he he actually knows. So my uncle, when I grew up, uh, he was friends with uh, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel from the Killer Bees, and um, uh, uh, Z-Man, uh, uh, I think his name is Tom Zank, back in the WCW days. He's from Minneapolis. Uh, Brock Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin. I mean, the list goes on and on. There, there are countless pro wrestlers from Minnesota. Do you keep up with current day stuff as well, or are you more of like an old school kind of guy? Oh, yeah. I keep up with all of it, all the way back to um, – uh, I. so when I got into wrestling, it was the AWA days. Stan Hansen, Larry Zbysko, Ric Flair – um, uh, Bachwinkle, Nick Bachwinkle, uh, the crusher, um, all those guys, those old school guys in AWA, that was Vern Gagne's promotion, uh, Greg's dad here in Minnesota. And, um, that's when I started watching it. AWA was on our local, uh, news or not news, our local channels. Uh, I watched it all the time when I was a kid. And then that's when, uh, WWF blew up and, uh, we went, we moved into Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Uh, Ultimate Warrior, you know, uh, Macho Man, uh, on all the way through today, and um, yeah, I, I, I keep up with all of it. Uh, these, I really love what they've done with Roman Reigns. I, I, I knew back in the day that they were going to that he was a chosen one. I knew that they were gonna because they tried to put him over when nobody liked him, and I was like, God, they're trying so hard to make mm -hmm. this guy right now. Like he's getting the push of all pushes. So uh, to see what they did with Roman Reigns uh, makes a lot of sense. I think it's kind of a cool uh, storyline as of late. 
Like, what are they doing? Because uh, out of the, I don't really keep up with the modern wrestling, but he, he's a name that pops up. Like, he's they turned him into the greatest of all time. He's he's been there. Uh, there he he unified both championships and has held the title for over a thousand days now. He's been the champion for over three and a half years. He surpassed um, Bruno San Martino just a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's one of, if not the longest reigning champion in wrestling history. So he is the goat. He will go down as the goat in history. I'm, I'm like Ron. I haven't kept up with a lot of the newer stuff, but I heard what he's doing is almost it's like cinematic masterpiece. He's not only a great wrestler, but he's just on the mic and stuff like that. He's just beyond everybody else. He he's become this character that is so much different and better and more believable than the Shield Roman Reigns. Um, they didn't let him, they didn't let him talk that much back in the day. And I think they were probably developing him. Uh, he was trying to find who he was going to be. And when you, when you hear wrestlers talk about all the gimmicks that they're given, um, it always goes down like that. They, you know, they gave me like, uh, Dustin Rhodes always says they gave me gold dust. Cause it, you know, Vince was pissed at me and he said, Hey, go dress up like a flamboyant, whatever with a, a wig and make it work. And he, he went out and made it work. And, and, and got over as gold dust, but it, it started as fuck you go do this, <laughs> you yeah. know? So you hear stories like that in wrestling. And, and I, I always remember hearing uh, diamond Dallas page and um, uh, Billy Gunn talk about all the gimmicks that they tried on him and, and just didn't work. And then uh, Billy Gunn in particular, as soon as they put him with road dog and they made the uh, new age outlaws, they were like, we just went out there and did our thing, made it work. And it, and it got over. Um, so I, I love all that stuff about how um, you're, you have to go through a process of tr- trial and error with different gimmicks before you find your authentic thing. And that's, that's what they did with Roman. I think he finally found his authentic thing and he's so good at it. And what's his, what is his uh, style? Is he like a shit talker? Or is he just more of like a serious dude? Like, Well, now his vibe is on the greatest of all time and he's right. So, so, and he sells that he's mm-hmm. uh, right now. Their storyline is that he's being a disrespectful, narcissistic, uh, you know, demagogue asshole to his own family and his family's turning on him basically. And so that, that, uh, and they've developed that story over time uh, with uh, the Usos. The Usos are his tag team. They're his cousins and they became the, one of the biggest, longest reigning dual tag team champions of all time also. So, They've given, and they're all really in the same family together, and their family has history. So, uh, The Rock is in that line, and Jimmy Superfly Snuka is in, in their family tree. So, oh, Samoans. Um, yeah, and the Wild Samoans. Yep, and Rikishi and Yokozuna. I mean, the list goes on and on. So that's why they're the one of the best, and will go down as one of the best ever because it's such a family legacy in professional wrestling. I always like to ask people this. Of course, it's probably impossible for some people to ask, but if you had to or answer, if you had to pick one wrestler over, you know, the whole time you've watched it, do you have an all-time favorite? Would it be Roman Reigns? Oh uh, no, Roman's not my favorite. He'll go down. He'll go down as one of the best, if not the best ever. But um, I'm, I'm. I told you guys, I'm nerdy with it. Uh, some of my favorite wrestlers are uh, New Japan, or New Japan guys. Are you familiar with New Japan pro wrestling? That that I'm not a much. I, I know it's like it's gigantic over there, but I probably wouldn't be able to name very many people have, from from there. Have you guys watched AEW? 
or do you know some of the AEW wrestling stars on Turner? What what's kind of the new WCW? I do. I know a little bit. Like I know, you know, like Kenny Omega and John yep. Moxley and people like that. Yep. Okay. So uh, Will Osprey. Will Osprey just yep, uh, had. Name. Yep. So Will Osprey and and uh, Kenny Omega, in my opinion, are the two best wrestlers in the world right now. It, that's that's they their matches are absolutely legendary they can do things nobody else can do and i'm talking from a pure wrestling ability standpoint they are i i mean the fact that they are good on the mic and and all that stuff is great but i mean just from a pure uh wrestling ability and and um the best show uh the best fights the best um rivalry i guess you could say all that stuff another one is kazuchika okada some of his rivalries with Kenny Omega, I think, is the best wrestling I've ever seen in my life. Um, and then I'm a Triple H guy. I'm a Triple H guy. Triple H was probably my favorite wrestler for 20 years. When he, when his heyday, he was my favorite guy. Him and Ric Flair. Rick, I mean, who does, who doesn't love Ric Flair? You know. <laughs> yeah, you can't help so, it. Everybody loves Ric Flair. Ric Flair was the greatest of all time until Triple H, and then Triple H was the greatest of all time until Roman Reigns, in my opinion. So. Yeah, I have a friend that had an interaction with Ric Flair when he was uh, wrestled down here in Savannah. Oh, and, no kidding. Uh, yeah, he lost his match, and and he actually saw the match. He was there at the event, and then he saw him in the bar afterwards. <laughs> oh, nice. And I was like, hey, Rick, I'm a fan. How'd, how'd your match go? And he's like, oh, yeah, I kicked ass like usual. <laughs> and my friend just was like, went along with it. Like, oh, <laughs> He should have been like, what are you talking about? You got beat. Yeah. <laughs> thought, you, thought you were the best ever. He might have got chopped. He yeah. might have got chopped across the chest if he said that. Yeah, he probably yeah. would have chopped you right there. He'd be like, "What?" Ric Flair was one of the best. He was such a crazy man. Holy shit, that guy was nuts. <laughs> and he was like way bigger when he was younger. I saw pictures of his early days. He was yeah, he was like three hundred pounds. Yeah, he. Uh, Shawn Michaels was that way. A lot of people forget that when he was uh, just getting into when they put him uh into the rockers tag team he was a big ripped dude before and he's he trimmed down a lot for the rockers and then obviously he trimmed down even more uh once he became a heartbreak kid so yeah yeah he was he was always my favorite growing up but now as i've gotten older i've become more of a bret hart guy myself yeah, I like Bret Hart. Bret Hart was great, great uh, technical wrestler. Probably one of the best technical wrestlers ever. Um, I I I liked Bret uh, least uh, less and less over time after the screw job and just hearing him talk about uh, wrestling. And I, I think he's probably got a bad taste in his mouth because of what happened to Owen, obviously. But he just seems like he doesn't fucking like or respect wrestling at all anymore. And I think it's because his family the Hart family is such a legacy and i think he hates how the promotions operate you know so oh, I, yeah. it makes it makes me not like brett because he's so bitter about it and i wish he could just like suck it up and play the game a little bit more but i get it man i mean if your brother died under someone else's watch like that I, i'd probably be bitter too you know can't really blame the guy yeah my favorite yeah, uh, wrestler at the time was a uh, chris benoit and then that whole situation that mm-hmm. happened with him, that was really, you know, troubling for me. He was one of my favorites of all time before that. And it was tough. It was tough to watch that happen. That's unbelievable. Yeah, but I don't know if you know the conspiracy behind it, that his whole story. I've heard a bunch of stories. Lay it on me. I'll, I'll take a listen. 
well, they think that um, he was possibly um, murdered. It was like meant to look like a murder suicide. Hmm. And and um, because uh, there was some like, you know, you know about the story, right, Zach? You're the one that kind of talked about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've read some places before um, where there were certain things posted on like Wikipedia and online before it happened. And there's also the, the weird kind of thing. I don't believe this much. It's so but like that Kevin Sullivan was involved because he you know, that was. Nancy was his ex-wife and right. there was that whole dust up. But yeah, the whole thing to me just, I don't know, just seems kind of strange, but I, I could also see where he just was taking so many steroids and had so much wear and tear on his brain that finally he just snapped one day, but I don't know. It's one of those yeah. tricky ones for me. Well, Cause after him, they stopped the uh, head chair shots to the head. Yeah. They had to do something. And that was during the, uh, everyone was talking about CTE and football too. So it goes right back to the whole store, uh, steroid scandal. Like from a business perspective, they had to do a few things to, you know, um, kind of, uh, atone, I guess for whatever, you know what I mean? Like the public needs to see you take a hit somewhere or they need to see some type of change happen. So that makes sense. And I think AEW wrestling just, uh, uh, sent out a whatever that says that there's certain moves that they can't do anymore for safety uh, as well. So, yeah, that's always been a theme in wrestling, too, is what you can and can't do. Stuff gets dangerous. You mentioned AEW. I saw a clip the other day, actually, where Chris Benoit's son was at one of the shows, and he looks so much like Chris Benoit. Oh, he looks exactly like him. Oh, yeah, he looks exactly <laughs> like him. But yeah, yeah he was, I guess he was front row getting dapped up by CM Punk, but it was wild how much they looked the same. So what was real quick? What was the story about uh, if it was made to be a murder suicide? What was the motive? Like why was Chris Benoit the patsy? Because they had, they had they had a perfect alibi with steroids, but mm-hmm. what's the real story there? You know, um, I feel like um, maybe he probably saw some behind the scenes things that he wasn't really into. Uh, dang, I, we did an episode about Could it. Be. I think I'd know more well, about it, but. Part of what I saw was kind of, I think Ron's kind of talking about a separate thing as well, but what I know a little bit about is the whole, I mean, supposedly is that Kevin Sullivan never really truly got over them being together and that he truly was into dark stuff that is as the same of his character. And then mm-hmm. he went over there and basically just had them all taken out as a way to get revenge on Chris. Like, mm. you know, it's, that's why it's a conspiracy. I'm not sure how much that would help. You know, he ended up killing his kid and stuff like that. But that's kind of the conspiracy I've always heard. That's interesting. Well, two, two, two people showed up, right? There was like something about, and then uh, on Wikipedia they they posted stuff about his death before it even happened on Wikipedia, and then it got taken down. Yeah, uh, and they got taken. And now I remember it got taken down, and then after it got taken down, they were able to investigate the IP address, and the IP address actually came from Stamford, Connecticut, which is where WWE is headquartered, which is like mm. another layer to it. Interesting. And then also, uh, you know, they, they wiped him from the records and everything like that. Like, he's just been, like, blacklisted. Oh, yeah, they wrote him off the scrolls of history, for sure. They did him dirty. But and... it, it's but at his, uh, you know, I know after it happened, they did a big, like, memorial service for him on a Monday Night Raw. So why would they all of a sudden just wipe him out? Because of the backlash. There's, there's actually a Dark Side of the Ring episode about that, is that everyone thought it was such a bad um you know like they shouldn't have paid tribute to him but they but vince's excuse was they didn't know the full extent of the story yet and he was a huge part of wrestling so why wouldn't you pay a tribute to him you know i mean come on it's like there's 
the people that criticize that decision, it, that's messed up to me. But again, like people want blood when shit like that happens. And, and um, I think WWE probably from a business corporate pers- uh, perspective did that after the backlash from the tribute show, I think is how it went. So, yeah, but yeah, they, they wrote him off though. You're right. Like I've seen guys that, that have been ostracized and, and fired and, and blacklisted from other promotions, but I've never seen them completely wipe history of a guy like they did to Benoit. So maybe there is some deep, dark shit behind that because, you know, it's kind of a one-off. I've never, I mean, there's been wrestlers that have killed people before. I mean, Dino Bravo, Dino Bravo joined the mob to take care of his family after he, he fell off in WWE and they, they, someone popped him in his chair in his house and they said it was a mob hit. So, you know, these wrestlers are meeting people, they're famous, they're popular, they're, there's money, you know, who knows what these guys are into, you know? Drugs. Yeah, drugs for sure, partying all the time. Jimmy Snook is another famous one where he killed somebody and while he was famous and supposedly, you know, the rumor is that WWF knew about it and just kept letting him wrestle and basically he didn't get, have to stand any kind of trial to it till later in his life. Yeah, that's crazy. I think that. Did that, did that happen like in Puerto Rico or somewhere? And that's why, or maybe yeah, I'm, I'm not it, sure of the details, but I'm sure it was like, it was kind of like a sketchy kind of deal. I don't know if it was, you know what I mean? Like clear cut, but the whole time, I guess it was like WWE wasn't supposed to have known about it, but supposedly they kind of did. I don't know. Well, just shady dealings. Of course. Yeah. And just, and just think about how many wrestlers uh, have talked about certain matches and they're like, I just trying to kill that guy. I was trying to like, some of these guys are nuts. Like they just are like steroids or no steroids. Like some of the people that want to be pro wrestlers and deal with the pain and the, and you know, it's not, that's not an easy life, you know? And I, I, I would not, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past people that if you're a crazy, if you're a crazy gimmick in the ring, like how can you not take a little bit of that energy into your normal life? in certain situations like where does the character end and the real person begin kind of thing you know absolutely i mean because back in the day that was it was really one and the same and they kept up they kept up uh kayfabe so much that they didn't want to be their regular self outside of the ring so they basically had to become that person totally yep and i always have to tell i feel like when we talk about pro wrestling we have to define to uh define kayfabe for the listeners so for those of you that don't know anything about pro wrestling kayfabe is a term that refers to a professional wrestler staying in character in their regular life to keep up the facade of their character on the tv show because as we all know now wrestling is a choreographed scripted determined uh entertainment show it's not a real match and you you know people say over time well pro wrestling's fake yeah we know it's fake we still like it shut the fuck up (laughs) You know what I mean? Did I yeah. think Undertaker actually was like living in a coffin and shit like that? <laughs> exactly. And so that's what, yeah. So that's what I, made it real, man. Yeah. That's and and that's how it was back in the day. I mean, Ric Flair, when he walked around the world, he was Ric Flair, but he's still yeah. Ric Flair. You know what I mean? Like he was his character. And that's, I think the best wrestlers are the guys that did that, that were what you saw is what you got. If you saw this person out in the world, they were their character and, that had to be one hell of a uh, life, you know, like you're, you're basically a split personality and eventually it's got to become you and make you go nuts in some way. I would imagine. 
I don't know. Yeah, you're that's you, what, with the actors, right? They they go stay in their role and end up going crazy. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, you really are kind of like giving yourself uh, <laughs> some type of mental disorder or something. I don't know. But yeah, that's great. I've heard that like Joaquin Phoenix has talked about that before where it's he says he said it's sometimes hard to get out of a character once you've immersed yourself in it for so long. And I, I, I get it, you know, makes sense to me. Yeah, because even for mental health, right? Fake it till you make it. <laughs> you might not be happy, but fake being happy. And eventually oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we all have to act in some way, shape or form in life, you know, absolutely. That's why being authentic and being punk rock is such a rare yet uh, desired vibe, in my opinion, it's because we need more of it. We need more courage. We need more revolutionaries. We need more, more punk rockers that are going to be like, you know, I, I will go stand in front of the line of uh, UN blue hat jackboots trying to kick in your door and take you off to a fucking FEMA camp somewhere. <laughs> you're gonna have someone's gonna have to get in these guys faces if it really comes to that so that's why i'm podcasting like we got to get ahead of this stuff people for it's too, too late also, uh you gotta worry about posers right because i you know i saw it in the music scene around here the people who dressed the most punk were actually just doing it for a style like they weren't actually about like the punk you know, vibe yeah then, yeah the vibe and then people wearing collared shirts and khakis were more punked than them you know? <laughs> like oh yeah with how they were uh, actually my buddy adam uh we did a show we were talking about bad religion and he was talking about seeing these kids uh watching greg graffin come out on stage in just a button down and slacks and being like what is this guy's deal and and my friend adam made, made the argument he said what do you, you kids don't realize is that the fact that he decided to come out on stage in that outfit, doing his show, talking about what he talks about without giving two shits about what you care about or thought about it. That is in and of itself punk rock. And I was like, yep, you nailed it. I was like, that is that that is what punk rock is. It's, it's an attitude. It's a belief system in a way. Um, and and it is it's it's a anti establishment vibe. That's what that's how I would describe it. Yeah, and it's it's a positive fuck you. It's, it's yeah. Oh, we're, yeah. We're not trying to. It's not anarchy like we're gonna destroy the world. It's anarchy like we don't want to be ruled by anybody. Yeah, we make we we without we are rulers. This, yeah, without rulers, we're we're leaders of our own lives. Yeah, I mean, and just I mean, look at how they've demonized the word anarchy. People don't even know what it means. Like, people hear the definition, they're like, "What the fuck?" I'm like, "Yeah, that that's propaganda." There you go. There's how propaganda works on human brains 101 right there. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, yeah, I guess uh, I guess uh, we're running out of time here, so I don't know if you uh, you know uh, where I I've, <laughs> I'll just, uh, you know let the listeners know uh, where to find you and stuff like that or any uh, you know final words and so for the audience. Yeah, I'm, uh, my show's the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Uh, I'm on everywhere you get your, anywhere you get your podcasts, um, politics and punk rock podcast.com. Uh, I have some merch up there and, uh, blog sections going to have uh, a bunch of different lyric sets and stories and, uh, just written stuff that I've done, um, stuff that I've played on the show before. It's kind of a cool little catalog of, um, mind expanding content to read. 
And then uh, on the homepage, you can click on the SoundCloud page like you were talking about, um, Ron, with uh, where my mu music is from a lot of the bands I've been in over time. Uh, you can go there, soundcloud.com uh, slash Andrew for America 1984. And then I am Andrew for America on all your social media, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Gab, Rumble, MeWe, uh, only thing on Facebook. Uh, go follow the Politics and Punk Rock podcast Facebook page. That's the only social media platform where I'm, I don't go by Andrew for America. So thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, come check out my show. Whoever wants to uh, come take a listen, I really appreciate it. Hell yeah. Is, uh, do you have any final words there? No, no I was just say this is awesome. Um, covered a bunch of my favorite things. I'm sure you could see how much I perked up there at the end talking about uh, wrestling. And we talked about Blink-182, which is my all-time favorite band. So this has been really interesting and I appreciate it. And I've got my notes here over on all those bands. I'm definitely going to check out and try to get back into a little more. But definitely appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, invite me back whenever you want. I'll talk about this stuff forever. So I, I had <laughs> a great time. Did. Yeah, man. Th thanks thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having All right. me. All right, we'll see you on another episode of The Imaginary Thought. Alright people, welcome back to the show um, Hope you enjoyed that conversation Talking about pro wrestling and punk rock And Blink-182 and all sorts of fun stuff Hope you guys enjoyed that uh, I'm going to end the show today With a cool little thing So I recently found that song that I kicked off the show with today Plead Insanity by my old band The Launch which is the intro bass line uh, and intro part to the song that I use for the intro to this podcast. Um, a little while after my band, The Launch, kind of went on hiatus, uh, one of the guitar players uh, had a buddy that's really good at lead guitar come and kind of put uh, a different spin on the song. He kind of added his own style, uh, added a, a really technical guitar part, and vibe overall vibe to the song and there's no vocals on this this is just basically uh drums uh bass and guitar i might sing a few lines here uh in a minute once i play this for you but uh hope you guys like this so here we go take a listen to this with uh the same song uh <laughs> just done a little bit differently here's my old my old band the launch with uh, our song plead Insanity, check it out.
to you I've heard it all before I never wanted it to end this way But you deserve it That's it, I'm just doing one line <laughs> Was I thinking you were thinking? guys enjoyed that that was my old band the launch uh with our song plead insanity same song uh that i played at the beginning of the show just a little bit different take with uh an amazing guitar player put a little bit of a different spin on it and i would like to give credit to that guitarist uh but i don't know who he or she is so brad if you're listening uh give me uh the person's name if they would like to be named so that uh, we can promote their amazing, talented guitar work. Go to the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Buy a t-shirt, buy some merch, buy a sticker, buy a hoodie, buy a hat. I don't know, do something. It'd be cool if you did. And go check out the playlist on Spotify, Politics and Punk Rock Podcast playlist. And go check out my music at soundcloud.com slash Andrew for America, 1984. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. I'll be back soon. We'll see you next time. This has been episode 154 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Entitled, Appearance on the Imaginarium of Thought. Episode 39. We'll see you next time.